Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Men for the Win is sponsored by The Grand Group with Edina Realty. Are you looking to purchase a new home in the Twin Cities area? Or perhaps you're trying to sell your current home? Whether you're upsizing or downsizing, The Grand Group with Edina Realty will meet all of your housing needs. Contact The Grand Group by emailing thegrandgroup at edinarealty.com or call them by phone at 612-817-8751. The Grand Group with Edina Realty, three-time Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine Super Agent Award winners. On this episode, David and Dan discuss the Twins' three-game series against the Kansas City Royal. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win. My name is David Kufis. With me, as always, is Dan Thompson. The Twins get things back on track, taking two of three from the Royals in a very feast-versus-famine-type series, Dan. The Twins score big in Games 1 and Game 3. Can't get the offense. Game 2, how you feeling? I feel great, David. This was a series they had to win. They went up against one of the apparently one of the best pitchers in the league in Game 2, and they still came out okay. So I actually I feel pretty good about taking two or three from the division-leading Royals, right? That's what's weird, right? I think that's the hard part for me to wrap my head around is that the Royals are the division leader currently. And yes, while that might not be a completely accurate statement come the end of the season, (laughs) right now it is an accurate statement. Yeah. I mean, the Royals look competent. They play different baseball. They move runners. They do the things that you you wish the Twins would do. They don't seem to live on power. Um, I'm tired of Andrew Benatendi. I feel like he's been a twin killer since... He was a rookie a couple years ago. As happy as I am to see the Royals be a better baseball team, because I think it's fun when teams like the Royals are good. At the same time, I'll, I'm happy with two out of three overall. Aren't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the sweep is always preferred, certainly, but you had to get a series win here. You can't have another totally. series loss, especially at, you needed to build upon that last win at Cleveland. And you did in game one, and then you had to win the series. So even that they dropped game two, like you said, one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. It's not a huge concern to drop a game, especially when your starting pitcher is just garbage on the mound. And you talked about how the Twins really had to have game one, and you kind of wanted them to win by a touchdown, right? Yes. To win it in a dominant form. And that made game two feel okay. Um, And then it was so nice to see game three, the power return, and Barrios, you know, do enough. He wasn't great. But anyway, well, we should, should we get to the recap? Series recap. Game one here, the Twins back at home. Bring it home here, Dan. Scoring nine runs, keeping the Royals to one run. Not much could have gone better in this situation, Dan. No, especially as we'll get to it, my puckets pick. I don't Alex Kirilov. <laughs> yes, I know you don't yes, want to. Yes. But two home runs for Alex Kirilov. Um, and they were important home runs. You know, it wasn't like, oh, this is a home run when it's already 10 nothing. Um, you know, that home run early was, was huge, right? Extending that lead. So kudos to him to getting that home run, a nice lefty bat in the middle. Uh, the Twins take a 4 nothing lead. The Royals get one back. And then the Twins tack on one of the fifth. Uh, and then I thought four really important runs in the eighth inning to keep this game from not becoming like that Mariners game a month ago now when they gave up big, a big lead late. Well, and I think that's a big sort of switch that must have been turned on is that the team has recognized you can't score runs at the beginning of the game and then stop scoring runs. You got to keep the pedal down if you're going to come away with victories. And to your point, the home run by Kirloff was huge But the second one, just making sure that they were going to feel good going into this game with a large enough lead at the end of the game that if the bullpen couldn't hold up their end of the bargain, they'd still come away with a victory. Totally. And it was great. You know, we talked about how the bullpen needed some easier games uh, and the bullpen pitched great in these situations. Four innings, one walk, one hit, one strikeout and no runs allowed um, after they got a a pretty good start out of Michael Pineda, wouldn't you say? Yes. And we should touch on that a little bit because Pineda pitched five innings. He gave up three hits, one run, uh, one earned run, two walks. 
walks and five strikeouts. Here's the deal, though. He would have pitched more, but he took a, he took a shot on his arm um, from a liner right up the middle, and he just didn't look right. And so they pulled him at, at the end of the inning. I think he would have certainly come out for the sixth had he not taken that ball off the forearm. Totally. Only had 71 pitches at that point. You know, and then they brought in Duffy, Robles, and Alcala, and they looked pretty good. They used Alcala again in one of those two-inning situations late. The other thing was the defense, right? Buxton had some excellent catches. My goodness. I, I still get scared every time he goes to the wall. When he dives Superman style and he hits the ground and his head kind of bounced, it just, I was like, okay, hang on. Is he okay? Is he okay? Totally. I wince every time he plays baseball. It seems like, (laughs) right? Like anytime he steps out there, anytime he fouls a pitch, he has seemed so fragile, but he's been so good. Yes. Year, David. Oh, he's so been fantastic. Good. Well, and when Cave came in for him in the ninth, I was like, huh, because he was right. the only substitution in the ninth. And I was <laughs> right. like, uh oh, you know, is, is Buxton okay? But then it did just seem like it was, hey, you know, we're up big. Cave can handle duties in center. Yeah. So the Twins get a much needed win there in game one. They went it to nine to one, and then game two goes the opposite. <laughs> yes, right. it very much uh, swapped here. So Shoemaker just did not look good. Three and a third innings pitched, eight hits, nine runs, eight of them earned, two walks. I don't know, Dan. This was bad and to your point Duffy's fantastic so maybe it wouldn't have mattered if we had a different pitcher on the mound but this one got out of hand early and often and the twins just couldn't get any offense on the board to counteract what the Royals were putting up yeah once the Royals put five up in the fourth to make it nine nothing I was like eh, I don't think they're getting this one <laughs> um <laughs> you know it just seemed like a pretty tall task with the way that Duffy was pitching this was a game if they were going to win it I think Dick Bramer said this in the telecast um they were going to win it three to two they weren't going to win this one out slugging the Royals against Danny Duffy. So good on them for getting that win. I guess at the least, you know, it uh, it gave the, the gave the bullpen another low leverage situation. Yeah. So <laughs> they got to get some cleanup innings there. Stacia came in for an inning and two thirds. Dobnek came in for three innings, um, and then Colome for one. Dobnek didn't look great. He gave up a couple runs in there too. I don't know. What, what what would you have done with this pitching staff here? What can you do? I don't know that there's much you can do about this one. This will come back later, I think, in Rocco's rewind. But it was nice to see a position that I was happy that they brought in Colome. Totally. And I was thinking, you know, at least Colome got that, you know, one solid inning with one hit. It's, um, I think somebody on Twitter, might have been Dan Hayes or something was from The Athletic, was posting a poll, um, you know, which position player is going to come in and pitch now um, <laughs> for the Twins. It felt like an Astudio day, yeah, I guess, yes, to me. Certainly. We didn't see Astudio for there. So a forgettable game, you know, Cruz gets a home run, Kirilov gets another one, but all, uh, bottom line, you know, an 11-3 loss that was never as close as that score looks. Uh, yes, accurate. <laughs> I mean, it should be noted, too, that Duffy pitched really, really well. And on top of it, the Twins just couldn't knock him out of the game. And that was really their only hope in this one was to get Duffy out of the game early. But a guy who's got a .6 ERA, uh, Dan, did you hear that? He has a .6 I know, ERA. I He's know. He's a starter, Dan. He's a yeah, starter. Pre- pretty remarkable. Only, I think second only to Jacob deGrom from the Mets in, in the majors right now. So what a great month for Duffy. You know, I'm curious to see if he can get if he can keep that up. But I sure don't want the Twins to have to face him very much more this season. Correct. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see come the end of the season, whether the twins want to face the Royals more or not. Right. I just don't know. Right. Do they have the staying power to stay on top of the AL central? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say because you look at that lineup, you know, Whit Merrifield, who sounds like a game show host, and then they got Carlos Santana, Salvador Perez, Jorge Soler, and Andrew Benatendi. That's not a bad top five. Yes, I would 100% agree with that. I think it's not a terrible team by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, yeah, I don't know that they're going to have the staying power. And actually, there was an article um, on MLB.com about this, and one of the bold predictions was that in the month of May, the Twins are going to scream to the top of the AL Central after finally getting a chance to play some weak teams and uh, 
what's most important, play some games against AL Central opponents. Sure, because then they can make their hay and then hopefully you know, start making some progress here. Um, let's look at game three, shall we? Well, this is a fun one to look at, Dan. Let me tell you, twins win this one 13 to four. Barrios looked okay. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the yeah. big thing, right? So he pitched six innings, but he did give up four earned runs. He struck out nine. He, it was kind of interesting. It just felt like he could never get in a rhythm. Yeah. And I was, you know, obviously he gave up the, the four earned runs between three and the fourth and one in the fifth when the twins had already built the seven, nothing lead. I was really impressed in the sixth inning when he got out, uh, when he got out of a, a little bit of a jam there in the sixth to just keep it to a three-run deficit. He looked pretty pumped. He kind of knew, I think it was his last batter, um, but he looked all right. And then I'll take that. And he still had nine strikeouts. Clean, clean game. It went Brios, Robles, Steelbar, Alcala. So it was a fantastic game. And on the offensive side of the ball, this Kirilov kid, Dan, I mean, we've been saying it for a while since he's been up that he just hasn't been rewarded for the contact he's putting on the baseball. Finally, seems like things are shifting his direction, Dan. He crushed that home run in game <laughs> three. And, and I was really impressed. He hit home runs to pretty much every part of the ballpark yes. in so much as you can spread four around. So that was really encouraging. He still had some swings today where I thought, ah, he's, he's swinging at pitches out of the zone. He was kind of falling behind, but credit to him, he was able to battle back in, in some at-bats, not all of them. He did strike out three times today, but over the course of the series, looked pretty good um, in getting back. Garver got a nice big home run in this game too, yeah. and Andrelton Simmons getting a, another home run. Yeah, that was a surprise, um, yeah. I shouldn't say another home run, First home run. a home yeah. run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, top to bottom, everybody except Cave gets a hit in the starting lineup. Just a great game overall for the Twins. Yeah, you know, the big thing that I had to say about this game is that this is a game that this team last week would have lost. That mm-hmm. That's how it felt. Like, they put up seven, they were up big, and then Kansas City starts climbing back. And all of a sudden, they get three in the fourth and one in the fifth. And it just felt like if this was last week, they would have lost. They would have found a way to lose this game. But in the sixth, the Twins add three more. In the eighth, they put three more on top of that. It was a different feeling team, Dan. And that's what we were talking about in the Cleveland episode uh, last time. This team is turning things around, and they're better than what they've shown in the month of April. Well, and what, what, I, what stood out to me about the sixth inning in game three and the eighth inning in game one is that they were not fueled by home runs. It was just rallies, right? Especially in game three, it was, and it wasn't very many pitches. It was four straight hits, including, you know, Buxton hitting it over the center fielder's head um, and Arise's triple, Donaldson's double. I mean, it was just, it was a nice rally, which you talked about early in the season that they needed to be a team that could win baseball games with rallies, not just with the long ball. And they had both, and they're going to have both some games like they did on, in game three. Certainly. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead. Let's push forward to our second segments here. We'll start with something that I'm sure you're pretty excited to get to, Dan, the Puckett's Picks winner. Catch them all, Kirby Puckett! Puckett's Picks winner. David, I'm not normally a fan of this segment. <laughs> not so um, far this season. But I but I will take this one. I'm pretty sure you criticized my Kirilov pick, or you didn't criticize no. it, but you certainly made fun of it well, in the I last just said, episode. No, I, what I said was, I think is what I said, is that's a very you thing to do. Like, you tend to do this, where you just take a chance on a guy who really, there's no expectation to win the week, and then all of a sudden, you look like a prophet who just knew what was coming down the pipeline did. Well, every blind nut gets a squirrel, as I like to say. Uh, so Kirilov was my blind nut or a squirrel. I can't. I've obviously butchered that metaphor. <laughs> I'm just really happy that Kirilov had 20 points in our puckets pick. 20 for Kirilov, 10 for Cruz, a respectable number for I really, you, David. Yeah, I would have had a chance had you picked anybody else. And the listeners take Buxton, and Buxton only has two points because there's no ca- there's no points for great catches. No, unfortunately. You know, to be honest, I was thinking about that. I was wondering wondering if we could add in some sort of defensive component where it was like defensive runs saved or something just because it does feel like bucks 
person should be rewarded for making those plays in the field. But so, and for those of you who are unfamiliar here with the rules of Puckett's picks, it's pretty straightforward. Basically, the listeners get to choose a player, and then Dan and I each get to choose a player who we think is going to perform exceptionally well in the next series. Rules, the scoring system is pretty straightforward. One point per base, one point per RBI, one point per stolen base, negative points for strikeouts, grounding into double plays or errors in the field. Then there are tiebreakers, which we've had had to use, which is most home runs is the first tiebreaker, followed by least strikeouts. Well, I was going to say to my Kirilov, I think it should have been 19 because I thought in game three today, that error that they gave to Simmons probably <laughs> should have been Kirilov. So I think he should have cut that. So I will take the point, but I just wanted to point out to be, I wanted to be generous here. Buxton had an error in this series too, on a throw. So I had That to was say, a terrible throw, yeah, David. I don't what know was what he, he thinking? was That was an interesting oh choice, certainly. It wasn't, wasn't expected. But anyway, so the season record, Dan, you're clawing back into things. So you had two wins and six losses on the season. And then both myself and the listeners have three wins and five losses. So it's getting close here, Dan. I'm only one back in, in the win column, which is the only column that matters. It's the David. only column that point matters. That out. Yes, let's move forward here. Beast versus Bench. Beast versus Bench. Is losing fun? Is losing fun. Well, Dan, I think I'll, I'll let you do the honors here. I'm going to agree with your pick who your beast is, but I'll let you do the honors in telling the folk who we've selected <laughs> as the beast. Well, it's going to be Alex Kirilov. He gets not just his first, not just his second, not just his third, but his first four home runs of his career in this series when I happened to pick him for Buckets Picks. But he was he was such a difference maker. I mean, it, we talked about this a bit in the recaps, but they were important home runs. Um, really, in each game, he had two in the first, one in the second, and then one in the third game. And giving some protection to Nelson Cruz Cruz with Kirilov batting fifth right behind Cruz at four. This makes the top five of this lineup. We, we talked about the top four being being solid. If Kirilov can be like this in the five spot, I mean, wh- how important do you think that is to the lineup? Yeah, I think it's very important, especially when it seems like that fifth spot in the lineup is a little bit nebulous up to this point. We don't necessarily know who should be sort of cemented in there with permanent marker. So I don't know. I think that he will get an opportunity here and what he's shown in this series. I don't think this is a fluke, Dan. Like, I don't, I don't think this is one of those situations situations where a guy comes up and makes a quick impact and then everybody gets real high on him. I think this is the player that he is and that it's sustainable for him. Oh, I think so too. He's hit the ball hard all the time. <laughs> you know, Aaron Gleeman had an article about how, how hard Kirilov has been hitting the ball and it just finally went out of the park this season. I am a little concerned, not concerned, his only hits in this series were home runs, and I would like him to mix in some doubles and triples, but at the same time, you hit four home runs in a series, I don't think anybody's going to complain. No, it'd be very difficult to complain. So yes, we are both in agreement here on our beast. And I mean, there were other options, but he was so far and away the true beast of this series. It'd be very difficult to to defend choosing anybody else. What about your bench, David? Yeah, so this was hard. You know, I, I see your pick here, so I'll let you talk about that. I'm going to take Dobnik and a little bit more from a perspective of that I think he's wasting opportunity because mm-hmm. every time that Shoemaker struggles, that's an opportunity for Dobnik to come into the game and show that he should be starting. And if he keeps struggling in these opportunities, he's not going to get that tap to get the starts when they're necessary. So I'm going to give Dobnik the, the bench moniker here this time around. It's because of wasted opportunity, not not necessarily because he was the worst player during the series, but I think that, especially for him as a player, it's important that he makes the most of these long relief opportunities. Yeah, and I'm going to take Shoemaker, the guy that you just alluded to, because Shoemaker just didn't look good. I think no. um, this was the most earned runs he'd given up, or the most runs, one of the two, in his career, in a start since, I think, 2014. Um, you know, he had three and a 
third, he gave up eight hits, nine runs, eight of them earned, a couple walks, no strikeouts, a couple home runs in there. The, the issue that I see is because you would think Dobnak would be the presumptive sixth starter. Yeah. I don't know what they do then. Do they do they give Dobnak a chance to start a game maybe coming up here if Shoemaker doesn't get better? Well, see, that's what I'm saying. I think Dobnak's opportunities, because he's squandered them to some extent, I think they bring in someone from AAA to do it. You know, we talked about, and we were getting ahead of ourselves a bit before the season, but talking about the 2022 rotation. And I wonder if one of those guys is going to get a look in sometime in May. It certainly seems like it's leaning that direction, especially if Shoemaker can't get his act together. Yeah, so so he's going to be my bench, and I and I hope. Well, at least, you know, the lineup looked really quite good, top to bottom. It's hard to complain about a lineup that puts up as many runs in a series as they did. Rocco's Rewind, David. What do you got for Rocco? Rocco's Rewind. Yeah, so here's the thing. So I feel like this is a very Dobnik Shoemaker centralized uh, topics here. But I think that in this situation where Shoemaker is struggling so greatly, the whole reason you have Dobnik on this team is to be a long relief guy. I don't want to see other relievers on the field when you're pulling a starter that early in the game. Shoemaker went three and a third. At that point, bring in Dobnik and say, hey, here's the deal. Finish off this game. That's what I think Dobnik's role needs to be. So really, that's what I have for Rocco is that if you have a guy who's got a role on the team, use him in the role that he's supposed to be fulfilling on the team. And they, and they bring in Stashek. I can see some sense you want to stop the bleeding and then you give Dobnak maybe more innings. But then why is Dobnak only pitching three innings yes. at, at that point, right? He pitched, he threw 41 pitches that maybe you're saving him to use him potentially during this Texas series. I, I don't know. It was kind of messy because by that point, it's pretty out of hand. You wanted Colome to have a chance to pitch a low leverage situation. But I agree with you. You know, what is the plan for Dobnik? He hasn't really even pitched a long relief situation, I think, beyond three innings. Yeah, absolutely. What do you got for Rocco? There weren't a lot of tough decisions this series, you know, for good or for worse, right? Um, you know, we liked that Cave, I think, came in to to play defense for Buxton at one point. I do like, and, and this is as much not really his decision, but but Garver and Rortvet, I, I like that pair as catchers, especially if you know, AAA is going to get going here. Jeffers could get some more at-bats. They have had so much more success in the last couple seasons with a left-handed backup catcher Yes, who can come in against righties. And and then, and Gleeman wrote really well about this at The Athletic. Um, and I just think that makes a lot of sense. If you're going to double down with Garver and give him three out of every four starts or something like that, you know, why not have Rotvet in there as a lefty bat um, to be able to play? So I do like this balance. You know, Rotvet came in and he started game one. You know, he had a blue pit. He had a lot of firsts, right? Yes. Um, He scored a run. He had an RBI. So I like that better. I, I just, I like that balance. Well, and some people, I think it was in the Gleeman article, mentioned that Jeffers got a little bit of the raw end of the deal here because totally. they would play Garver against lefties, but against righties, they'd play, they'd play Jeffers. So it's kind of one of those matchup situations where the backup catcher, because he bats in the same box as the starting catcher, he kind of got, got the shaft. There. Let's uh, Minnesota moment, David. What's yours? <laughs> Minnesota moment. Yeah, I think it has to be Kirilov's home runs. Like, I just think the fact that he got his first one and then he got his second one, and because we've kind of been waiting for his, again, he he deserved more hits than he should have gotten thus far, so far throughout the season. And they even said that, I was looking at the stats, or I think Dick Bramer mentioned it, that as far as his expected batting average is like double what his actual batting average is, just because he has been hitting the ball so hard. So I think just it won. You could tell it relaxed him after he got his first one, and I just think it's it's a start of something here, Dan. I think just like the game against the Indians game three, the win there was the start of the Twins turning the season around. I think this home run for Kirilov is really what's going to turn his season up. Not necessarily around because he wasn't really struggling all that much. Yeah, he had a slump coming up, but I think it's going to turn his season up, Dan. And and it's going to beget questions about 
what do they do with the lineup now top to bottom, right? When they have a nice power left-handed bat in there, I think they need to have it in the middle of that lineup. So it's going to be fun. He creates good problems for Rocco Baldelli here. Yes. He's going to play like that. Definitely. What um, do you got? My moment is actually that sixth inning rally in game three. You know, this game looked like it was maybe going to get away from them. It was seven to four at that point. Barrios had just come out and then they get hits from Simmons, Arise, Donaldson and Buxton right in a row. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but they were hard hit balls. And just to get that cushion back to make it a 10 to four game with three innings left. Um, I just thought that was a good turning point. If they lose this game, you know, especially in that fashion, after having a seven nothing lead, that's really demoralizing now instead they go into this texas series really pumped up well and yes i think that's exactly the case because had they lost today it would have just felt like yeah yeah maybe those two wins were kind of fluky and this is a bad team but now Mm -hmm. it's like there's some optimism they got back in the win column for series totally and they i mean they look dominant with the bats Yes. Um, we cannot say that the royals are i don't know that we can say that they're as good as their record but they're certainly not bad. I don't think this is a bad team, at least at this point. And here's the thing. The Royals are the division leading team at this point. I think we have to at least give them that due respect that through April, they're ahead of the division. Yes, absolutely. Here, let's keep pushing here. Mauer's Musings. I just don't know how it can get any better. Mauer's Musings. I know I've said something good, David, when you could just have to say yes. There's nothing more to say. (laughs) There's nothing more to say. You said it all, Dan. My musing is this. Are we under appreciating the value of Josh Donaldson on this team right now? Yes, I think so. And I think part of it is because he's such a consistent performer that it's sort of expected with the amount of money we're paying him for him to perform. And so I think if he's not standing out by hitting five home runs in a game or whatever the case may be, it's one of those things where there's an expectation there, which I think takes away some of the sort of pride we should have in his play thus far. Well, because what stood out to me, I was looking at the stats, as I often do, and there are only two players on this team that have more walks than strikeouts. One of them is Josh Donaldson. He's got seven walks, five strikeouts. Obviously, he missed some time earlier in the season. And Luis Arise is the other. 14 walks, 11 strikeouts. Nobody else is really all that close. What's the um, no on know? a kid? Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was going to be the other one. <laughs> he's at 13 walks and 20 strikeouts um, in 45 at-bats. So this series reminded me Josh Donaldson is just really a key piece in that second spot on the lineup and just how different would this team be right now if they didn't have him kind of locked in in that number two spot we've talked so much about the stability of the top of the lineup and I really think he has as much as anybody we could argue Buxton we could argue Cruz but to have that veteran spot in the two has been so big for this team you what about you what do you have yeah so I guess here's my question Dan what happens when Sano comes back. What happens? Because I think my bold prediction that I made at the beginning of the season is looking to be more and more likely to happen, which I think Alex Kirilov is going to have more starts at first base come the second half of the season than Miguel Sano. Hold on. Your your prediction was Brent Rooker was going to have more starts I was at hoping first you base. wouldn't remember. Yeah, I, was, I caught you on that one. Yeah, good try. But good I think try. The, the main part of the prediction holds true still, Dan, that, that I well, think yes. that someone else the will stunning... have more starts at first than Sano. Right. That was the surprising part when you mentioned that. So yes, and, and maybe Rooker will eventually if he comes up and, and maybe Kirilov becomes the left fielder. I do wonder that. I was wondering the same thing because, you know, if, if Kirilov then moves to left more, I think that's a good situation, right? Because that means that Sano is playing well. But I would love to have Sano slot in right behind Kirilov and then not strike out every second at bat. I mean, do we, I mean, that's, that's the A lineup right now, right? Assuming everybody's healthy, Sano is at first and then you have Kirilov in left, correct? Correct. I guess that's the question. Is that how we're going to see things come down when Sano comes back? I mean, I sure hope it does because if we can get the Sano from a couple years ago, this lineup is going to be really pretty unstoppable. Yes, I agree. Probably not over 300 home runs, but at least definitely putting some offensive numbers up on the board. Series grades, David. Series grades. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to give them a B on this one. I think that they had to get the win, and so I think there was a lot of importance here. So I even flirted with the idea of a B plus or an A minus simply because of how important the series was. But the fact that they won two and the loss that they had was against Duffy, I'm giving them a solid B, Dan, and now they need to start building on this. What do you got? I don't have a lot of difference in my rationale. I went with a B plus because I, I, I don't know that I give them a mulligan for game two, but it didn't really matter to me that they lost it in such ugly fashion um, because because Duffy, it almost made it easier to swallow that it was ugly because then it was like, well, we can't point to the first inning really being so significant. We can't point to infield in issues uh, that I'm always quick to latch on to. So I'll say B plus because they needed to win the series and winning the last game and the first game were really the two that they had to have, I thought. Yeah, I think it's, uh, yes, great point. I guess I just, Dan, I'm so hopeful, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm so hopeful that this team can continue to build on this success. Are you hopeful, Dan? Are you optimistic at this point? I am more optimistic because at least the bullpen got a chance to sort some things out a little bit, I would hope. Now they get to play Texas, who is not you know they're they're towards the bottom of of the of the AL West, so I, I think that they are able to take the next step here. I'm still not going to feel great until they're back to 500. I think, which I'm hopeful that they can do by the end of 40 games. You know, they're 26 games in, so they got 14 left. Can they close that gap to be 500 by the end of May or by mid-May? Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. So let's uh, let's move on, Dan. Puckett's picks for the upcoming Rangers series. And we'll see you tomorrow. Puckett's picks. So as uh, as we already mentioned, Dan uh, Dan took the victory here. So the listeners will choose first, and the listeners have selected Buxton, which you can't blame them for. But I got to be honest, Dan, it's tricky. It is tricky now. Now that Kirilov is in the mix, was this just the start of something? Is he going to come back down to earth a little bit, or are we going to expect to see four home runs in this upcoming series? Well, I don't have to make the tough decision here. To me, you have the tough decision, <laughs> yeah, right, with I, the first pick. I'm pretty frustrated because I don't know because I don't. Here's the thing. I think that if I don't take Kirilov, I think you're going to take him again and you're going to see if you can ride that train. (laughs) So part of me wants to take him just so you can't, but I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm going to take Josh Donaldson. I think he's due for a big breakout series. Oh, interesting. Well, I just talked about how solid he's been for this team. I don't mind that pick. I'm actually going to take Nelson Cruz. See, no, no. Yes, that's what I did. No, the whole reason I took Donaldson. Well, no, I didn't take Cruz thinking you wouldn't take Cruz. And I thought, you're not going to take Kirilov? I am just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm down on Kirilov. I just think, you know, Nelson Cruz playing one of his former teams. He's at home. I see a couple home runs out of Cruz this series. So here's the thing. I guess I'm just a little disappointed. Truly. You're disappointed in me? I Well, not in you, but I just think I, I was, this is, it's so funny, right? Because I want to win Puckett's picks, right? Like this isn't some sort of psychology I'm trying on you, Dan. I just, I think if I were you, I would want to choose Kirilov again just because of how he performed last series. And it's just kind of, I don't, it's interesting. It's an interesting pick last series and it would be cool to see it continue. Yeah. You play to win the game, David. I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm, I just think Cruz gives me a better chance to win. He, he likely does. I guess I'm just. I don't know. It was one of those sort of movie type moments where the kind of the underdog continues to come away with the victories. <laughs> well, this isn't a movie, David. This is baseball. I was I was at a Little League game four nights this week because we're in that mode. I think I mentioned that previously. And I thought of our tagline, David. We've talked about how we are two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. I tell you, sitting at Little League, like there's nothing more satisfying. It doesn't matter who it is. If a kid makes a catch on a pop fly, yeah. if he fields a grounder cleanly and throws a guy out first, it's just... It is fun to watch baseball played well, David. And and the Twins just did that this weekend, too. And it makes me feel a whole lot better. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, Dan, do you want to send us out here? I do. I'm going to try not to tear up you okay. know, over these emotional <laughs> thoughts 
about baseball. All right. Folks, if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Min for the Win. You can also find our Min for the Win Facebook page. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you're notified when we have a new episode. Uh, and if you could leave us a rating, that would be great too. Thanks for listening. And as always, go Twins. That'll wrap up another episode of Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, go Twins!